Welcome to the Lancet podcast, which this week focuses on the launch of a series about health in India. This series is calling for a universal healthcare system in that country by the year 2020, just nine years away. I'm joined by Lancet colleague and executive editor Pam Daz to discuss highlights from the series. Pam, welcome. When I think of India, I haven't been to India, though I would love to go. I know you know the country very well. But when I think of India, and I'm sure maybe other people listening might think the same, one thinks of a vast country, a complex country, which in 64 years since partitioning from the British after the Second World War has had many, many ups and downs. So, Pam, how realistic is it to create universal health care in a country of the size and complexity of India? Well, as you say, Richard, it is ambitious and the challenges are huge given the size of the country. You know, it's the seventh largest country in the world, the second most populous, I think, with a population of over 1.2 billion. It is a complex country. It has 28 states and all of which are like many countries themselves. India, I think, is a unique example of pluralistic, multilingual and a multi-ethnic society with a broad diversity in geography, culture, economy, governance from one one end of the country to the other. I think from a health perspective, it's interesting that major public health indicators show that the country lags behind most other Asian nations. Now, this contrast is particularly challenging as India assesses its progress at the end of 30 years as a signatory to the 1978 Almorata Declaration on Health for All which essentially is a pledge to establish an effective healthcare system for all citizens. Now, 60 years since the passing of the Indian constitution that guarantees health as a right to all Indians, glaring inequalities in health outcomes, I'm afraid, still persist across Indian states and between different groups in the population. But recently, with India's improvement in its economic fortunes, it's propelled the nation into the ranks of a middle-income country. Really, it's at a critical junction right now, whereby for the country to make the most of its demographic advantage and to sustain this new economic prosperity, a healthy India is crucial and it needs to be realised. Now, there are encouraging signs, such as the health priorities the health minister has been calling for, which match many of those in our series, as I will go on to discuss. The recent setting up of a high-level expert group on universal health care by the Planning Commission of India. So I really think there is a momentum being generated here, which does signal a change in thinking. In a nutshell, how do you crystallise the main health care problems that India is confronting today? <laughs> Yes, there are many problems that India is facing, as outlined in six of the seven papers. The burden of infectious diseases remains inadequately controlled. Children and women bear a particularly shocking and intolerable burden of death and disability. We now have the emerging epidemic of chronic diseases, which has barely been addressed by the government. Deep inequities of health care and health reach between rural and urban, rich and poor. The perilously low numbers of educated health workers across the country. Governance issues and corruption, as alluded uh, to in one of the commentaries in the series. Basically, there's been a chronic underfunding public spending of health resulting in private out-of-pocket expenditures which are among the highest in the world. To put it bluntly, Richard, health has not really featured high on the political agenda. Thanks very much, Pam. And let's now look 
at the series in a little more detail. It's, it's a very comprehensive series, some fascinating papers there. Obviously, we want people listening to this podcast to go and look at the series, so we're not going to cover everything. Just before we do that, Pam, just remind us what the status of this series is, because this is talking up the call to action, as I said at, at the very beginning, is, is the need for universal health care in India by 2020. This isn't an implementation document of how to do that, is it? No, that's right. What this series does, it engages with the construct of Health for All in India and it investigates the issues facing the health sector to offer solutions for assuring evidence-based and affordable health care for all in India and hopefully providing the much-needed evidence to inform policy decisions. Let's look through the papers. The first paper in the series, you've already touched on this briefly a moment ago, this concerns the ID, the infectious disease problem, health problem, health challenge in India. What does this paper say? Well, this paper describes the continuing threats faced by India from infectious diseases. There have been some success stories such as polio, leprosy and certainly in HIV AIDS, but infectious diseases still represent 30% of the disease burden in India. There's been long-standing attempts to control tuberculosis malaria, visceral leishmaniasis, but these have not been successful. There are innumerable other diseases that are not targeted through vertical and often donor-driven programs. And these include cholera, typhoid fever, all of which are neglected and poorly monitored. One of the biggest problems is India not having a robust public health care system. And this is what the authors of this paper call for. They basically clearly show how the current healthcare system is just overwhelmed by the infectious disease burden. And what's happening is it's driving the more impoverished families to use the private sector where the costs of treatment can be just crippling. Only with a functional public health infrastructure which can be shared between the central and state governments, but only with good infectious disease and epidemiology training of staff can we prevent and control infectious diseases and actually reduce the burden on the healthcare system. Paper 2, Pam, this looks at child health, maternal health, nutrition, a topic no stranger to the Lancet. What's the context here within India? The authors of this series are very well-known Lancet authors in the maternal and child health field. And they all highlight the very depressing statistics of India having the highest burden of any country in the world for maternal, child and nutrition-related health. There are some 1.8 million children under five die in India every year. And 68,000 mothers die due to maternal causes. And 52 million children in the country are stunted. So it's clear in terms of the Millennium Development Goals that India will probably not make this target. And the problems lie within insufficient coverage of priority interventions, suboptimum performance of established intervention packages, inequities in access, as I mentioned earlier, and basically going back to what I was saying with regards to infectious diseases, having a weak health system, which is the overarching cause of all these problems. So we are unable to deliver care and with problems like planning, human resources, infrastructure, governance, lack of monitoring, all these things feed into the inability to deliver good, effective, affordable health care to those who need it, and that being women and children especially. Indeed. The next paper looks at chronic diseases. Tell us about that. 
Chronic diseases and injuries in India. Well, when this problem was first highlighted a few years ago, that uh, an emerging epidemic of chronic disease burden was beginning to be seen, many in the field felt that India could learn from what has happened in the West and industrialized countries and developed world countries where chronic diseases, the burden has been huge for many, many years now. But it seems that India are not able to learn from this. And some of the statistics born in this paper show this. Chronic diseases are equally prevalent in rural and poor populations and often occur together. The old assumption that chronic diseases was associated with more richer populations is true to some extent, but in India, we're actually seeing it spreading to the rural and more poorer impoverished populations. More than one in five Indians have a chronic disease, while over one in ten have more than one chronic disease, and half of all deaths in India are caused by chronic diseases, which has till now been the major cause of uh, mortality and morbidity. But what the authors go on to do is set out some recommendations, interventions, which uh, are already being implemented elsewhere in the world and could be done so in India fairly quickly, such as increased taxation, reduced advertising for tobacco and alcohol, reducing the availability of locally brewed alcohols, Biddy tobaccos, which is the uh, Indian cigarettes, which are unfiltered, basically, tobacco flakes. Reducing the salt content, providing reading glasses, preventative treatment for high blood pressure, preventing traffic injuries by enforcing speed limits and seatbelt use, depression and alcohol misuse treatment. You know, the list is endless with the number of interventions that are available and are implementable. And what about equity, Pam? This is an important issue, isn't it? That's right. In a way, it's the pivotal issue in the entire series because all the issues really sort of depend on access to care. And what this paper highlights is there are massive inequalities. Three quarters of the increasing burden of health care are met through out-of-pocket expenses because the government is simply not spending enough money on health care in the more rural, poorer populations. So this is resulting in pushing more and more Indians into poverty each year. I think the um, figure is 39 million Indians into poverty each year. Looking at the more health aspects, overall immunisation coverage for children under five years old is 44% overall, but 64% for mothers with more than five years of education and just 26% for mothers with no education. The states as well, there's quite a lot of discrepancy between from one state to another. Life expectancy is 56 years in the state of Madhya versus 74 years in Kerala. Only 40% of women give birth in a health facility with those in the richest 20% six times more likely to do so than the poorest. There really is an unfair distribution of access to health care and um, the costs are being shouldered by the most impoverished. And so the authors go on to call for an increase in the GDP that India spends on health. Currently, it's at just 1.1%, which is just dismal, really. What sort of percent should it be? When really we need it to go up to about 6%. That brings leads on, actually, to two other papers in the series, which sound a bit sort of boring, but are actually really important. Health... People, you know, people who work in health, human resources of health, and the money to do it, finance, so human resources and finance, which said sounds a bit turgy, but actually really important. 
the dire shortage of human resources for health is the focus of the fifth paper in the series. The majority of healthcare workers are concentrated in urban areas, which means the care of most rural Indians is left to unqualified practitioners and providers. The country also faces a brain drain of doctors to other countries such as the USA, UK and Australia. And unfortunately, there's a woeful underinvestment in human resources, especially nurses and paramedics. Incentivizing is an issue, and what the authors call for is a comprehensive training and location policy which addresses issues such as monetary incentives, training tailored to the health needs of the country, more local training to the uh, more local populations, and having continuing education once in practice. While this training gap is closed, the authors suggest that in the short term, to overcome these um, massive shortages, that we task shift to practitioners of alternative specialists such as Ayurveda, yoga, naturopathy among others and we actually rent private sector health centres and purchase some services from private providers but certainly not as many as currently being used. And to conclude Richard, to support all these recommendations that the authors call for of course, most essentially, is financing healthcare. And that's what the final paper in the, in the core series examines. Currently, the government spends 1% of GDP on health. There's a very high out-of-pocket expenditure for health. Only 10% of the population have medical insurance. And so what the authors call for is a tripling in investment from 1% to at least 3% of GDP and followed by a subsequent increase to 6% of GDP, which would be the ideal um, amount that we would require for sector-wide improvements, certainly in efficiency and accountability. Thank you very much, Pam. That's a really great summary of, of a fascinating series. But the series papers, terrific though they are, they're all wrapped up, aren't they, in, in, a, in a clear call to action because, as you said at the beginning, this is a complex problem. There needs to be a concerted and coordinated call to action. What is that? Well, that's right. The, the call to action in this series sets out a roadmap to achieve universal health coverage by 2020. And it proposes some targets and timelines to map the milestones of the achievement of universal health care with a number of action points addressing access to appropriate, adequate and affordable health care. Some of these action points include increased public spending on health, health research with new taxes on tobacco, alcohol and junk foods, comprehensive and integrated information and surveillance systems for public health, promotion of generic drugs and bulk purchase mechanisms, promotion of public health training, district level management systems with community participation. But we need to remember, aside from the point that I raised right at the beginning, that India is at a critical junction whereby its economic profile and to maintain it and to sustain it, the health of its people is absolutely integral. We should also remember from a human rights point of view that every Indian citizen during his or her life are entitled to appropriate, adequate and affordable health care and this should be possible. And Pam, finally, tell us a bit about the launch in New Delhi on Tuesday, January the 11th. The launch is taking place in New Delhi, as you say, in the form of an all-day symposium in which all the papers will be presented and discussed. We'll have as many authors uh, from the series as possible attending. However, one author that will not be attending is the author of our third commentary in the series on securing the right to health for all in India. 
His name is Biniak Sen, a very well-respected paediatrician who unfortunately won't attend because he'll be behind bars. Yes, an inhumane sentence was issued committing this humanitarian who has spent most of his life with his wife improving the health and welfare of some of the most marginalised and poverty-stricken people in the state of Chattisgarh. The case has been going on for three years. He was released last year but then had to return to court in late December to have his case concluded. Despite their not being any evidence to justify any of the allegations made against him, the courts decided he was guilty and have sentenced him to life imprisonment. This has created shockwaves throughout the authors of the India series as well as worldwide condemnation of his incarceration. And as a result, at the India series launch on Tuesday, we will have a vacant chair to symbolise his unjust imprisonment. Many thanks, Pam. Very sad note indeed, but, um, but important that you mentioned it. It is also covered in an editorial in the current issue of The Lancet dated January the 8th to the 14th. Many thanks indeed to Pam. Thank you all for listening. More information here on thelancet.com. I do urge you to go ahead and read what is a really fascinating Lancet series. See you next time. 